0: Welcome to another episode of Practically Political. Great to have you here. I'm Dave Spencer.
1: And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Wow, Dave, what times we live in. Uh, Let's get to it. Russia, it currently holds the presidency of the UN Security Council. But right now, Russia is invading Ukraine, a sovereign country, and it's needlessly provoking war. Um, and it's on top of this body that's designed to uphold international peace and security. So this is exactly why people have lost faith in the UN. Should the U.S. at this point pull back from UN participation? I mean, the Wall Street Journal said that uh, what this showed was the illusion that international norms and these these international consensus buildings, uh, you know, uh, organizations had any bearing on people like Putin. So should the U.S. just basically say, OK, let's call a spade a spade. The reason why we've been able to have Pax Americana is because 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 of US strength?
0: Well, I think there's there's a lot to unpack there. I think, fortunately, I think the UN is a useful organization. I think it's very good to have um, an organization where, where people can air their differences and their opinions. And there's certainly, I agree with you on the UN Security Council that because both Russia and China have permanent membership, that they're able to veto anything. China is infamous for this when it comes to anything to do with human rights or what they considering consider meddling in their internal affairs. And I think you're seeing the same thing with Russia, uh, but there's, no, there's nothing stopping Biden from making a speech at the UN and still using it as a forum to rally international support, which I think he needs to continue to do. And I think that uh, he's done pretty well up to now. So I think the UN should just be one of many in a, a toolkit, if you will, that we can use to rally international support because that's going to be the key here. okay? We have to prevent uh, the New World order from returning, reverting to the old one prior to World War II, which was baby, which was essentially, you know might overwrite. And we've, we've avoided that for, for, over, for over 75 years, and we need to keep doing it. That's my greatest concern this is going to open the door to authoritarianism just seizing property and seizing countries because they feel that they that they can what are what are your thoughts
1: you know, I, I agree uh, that this is a risk to the world order. And I think a big part of it, though, is Biden's weakness. I think that's part of why Putin felt empowered and emboldened to do it is because of Biden's weakness and his inability to project strength, his inability to have confidence in the American way and Pax Americana, and also the fact that Biden has waged a war on U.S. domestic oil and gas production. That ultimately is the linchpin with all of this, because gas prices have been spiking, And that's all going into Putin's pocket. And so, uh, you know, Biden's failure to encourage U.S. exports and U.S. production and doing everything he can. It's just, it's ridiculous. The, I heard a great analogy of how Biden has been begging OPEC to increase their production of oil, meanwhile trying to destroy domestic U.S. oil production. It's like, uh, refusing to cook unhealthy junk food at home, but then you you order it out. And so it's just a farce. And so I I, I just I have a lot more choice words for Biden than you do. But uh, I do give him some credit for sounding the alarm beforehand. And it does seem that the Ukrainians weren't taking it seriously enough. So at least we can, I think, agree on that, Dave.
0: Well, I think the Ukrainians, I think the Zelensky, President Zelensky took it seriously, but he didn't want to uh, so panic in the hope that Russia would um, uh, would have ended. I think if they'd just gone in and they'd uh, seized the two terrorists, uh, I think it's two Hensk, and, Hensk and, those, and then called it a day, they could have achieved the incrementalism and they could have called it a win. I think they've waited way in beyond their head here. and I think it's going to uh, not end very well. And you have to remember, I mean, look at occupations. They just don't work out well, and particularly when you have a country that is very full of pride, full of pro-Western sentiment, uh, it's not gonna go well. And I think it's it could be the beginning of the end of the uh, Putin regime, but we need to be firm and we need to do something that really will affect Russia and that's turning off their financial system. So I do think that means going after SWIFT and I do think it means that people can't get money out of ATMs, they can't use credit card transactions because the thing that'll get Putin off of this, he's a dog with a bone, but if he starts to feel threatened at home, then I think you're going to see action because with all of these guys, it's always about survival. Well, my question for you is, uh, you know, the conservative media has been all over in their effusive praise for Putin. I mean, it's not just the 45th president who's called him sly and brilliant, but people like Tucker Carlson, are saying what's going on? You know, Ukraine isn't the one that uh, took away your job. Ukraine isn't the one that's. I mean, Putin isn't the one that's teaching your kids critical race theory in school. Uh, you know, to me, this is really damaging, um, and I don't really see the the benefit of it uh, in terms of strategy. But maybe you know something that I that I don't. What gives?
1: Yeah, well, I, I I disagree with things that Tucker Carlson has been saying. I, I think he is in some ways, you know, isolationism is nothing new. So I think you see people like him. You see J.D. Vance said things like, oh, I don't really care what happens in Ukraine. I'm more concerned about fentanyl coming up from our southern border and killing Americans. Uh, I think that that is uh, just naive. Um, but I will say that those voices are in the mi- minority among conservatives. The vast majority of conservatives have been speaking out in Congress. Most of the other Fox News hosts and analysts, they've been very strong on this. Um, and I do think, though, that when you uh, another reason why you have the isolationism, though, is because they are saying, OK, Ukraine, Ukraine is actually not an angel. Like I, I pulled up the, the Amnesty International reports, for example, and, and also Reporters Without Borders. It's a group for press freedom that I used to volunteer for for two years. Um, you look at those reports, Ukraine, they, they, don't, they don't respect journalism, free enterprise, or free expression. Uh, they are slightly better than Russia. But uh, I think that that's another reason why they're trying to say, look, don't send American troops and American treasure and American lives and American blood to be spilled uh, for a country that doesn't really share our values in that way. So I think that's part of what's going on. What do you think?
0: Well, I, I do think that uh, Ukraine certainly has a ways to go, but when I look at these countries, Carrie, I think what's important is what direction are they going into? And when a country has been under authoritarian rule for many centuries, as Ukraine has, uh, I think it's it's a gradual process, but they have really pro-Western sentiment. They're moving towards Europe, They're moving away from the dictatorship that Putin espouses. And that's, frankly, one of the things that makes him so nervous is because he feels that he's losing Ukraine to the West. And I will agree that while Biden hasn't, as you say, waged war on the fossil fuel industry, I think certain things like canceling the Keystone Pipeline before the jobs were there and a few other things I think has not been a good a a good course of action, because let's face it, when you get right down to it, Russia is a gas station with nukes, right? (laughs) I mean, Sweden has more exports if you take away energy. So and people are going to buy oil and gas no matter what. So that's why, again, I think the key is crippling his financial system. But as far as Ukraine goes, I don't think anyone believes we should invest blood and treasure. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Putin would not attack the Baltic states, because then it's a NATO country. So he would hear back. Uh, we would have to respond. We we would have no choice. And then you're on the verge of World War III.
1: Mm. All right, last question, Dave. Uh, I want to talk to you about domestically. I know we've covered a lot of important foreign policy things, but here in the U.S., and it's actually related foreign policy because uh, I would say that Justin Trudeau was way more aggressive against his own people than the U.S. and the rest of the world has been against Putin, uh, unfortunately. But the truckers, so the truckers in Canada you know, protests for three weeks. But I want to turn to stateside here in America, because on Wednesday of this week, they launched from California a convoy of their own, and it's making their way to Washington, D.C. Do you think there's a p- potential here for this convoy to be in some ways sort of like the Tea Party 2.0, that these are working class people? I looked up some U.S. census data statistics. Truckers are working class, less educated They're more likely to work more than 40 hours. They're more likely to be disabled. They're more likely to be a veteran. This is the backbone of America, and they're pissed off. Uh, So what do you think about this convoy domestically here?
0: Well, let me just, before I answer that, let me take a step back and say that the whole thing in Canada, you know, 90% of truckers there were already vaccinated, unlike the U.S. And so I think it's one thing if you want to protest, but when you're blocking trade between two, two countries. I think that's a different thing. So I agree that they should have been removed. I don't agree with the emergency powers uh, that Justin Trudeau has used, where they're going after people who are contributing money. That's a very dangerous precedent. I think it needs to be addressed. But as far as the domestic situation goes, a bunch of truckers going to DC is a protest. That's not blocking trade. That's not going to affect, you know, 25 percent of the trade between Canada and the U.S. as blocking that one bridge that went from Windsor to Detroit does. So I think it's different. Uh, And I think in this country, you know, we're certainly more used to protest. So I think it'll kind of be my prediction is that it'll, it'll be end up being a whole lot of nothing. I think it's important. Truckers are very important. I think they're overworked. I think they're underpaid. I think they're worried about their jobs being taken away by automation. But it's a, you know it's a lonely, tough out- life out there. And I think we need to give support because, as, as the saying goes, if a, if you bought it, a truck bought it. So so that brings me to my question, and that is that you know the January sixth committee has been fascinating to me because I think one of the reasons that you're seeing such a, a visceral reaction from so many people on the right is frankly they're scared about what's going to be revealed. And I think that, uh, you know, Trump has pulled some great Houdini acts in terms of getting out of trouble before, and he may get himself out of this one. But certainly this is the the toughest situation he's faced. You know, he's got several hundred millions of dollars of personal notes that come due, personally guaranteed notes. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of worry on the right that this could really damage the party. So my long-winded question for you is, what would you think would be the good balance with the January 6th committee? Because it's important to investigate it. It's important that people realize that this was an attack on our democracy. Trump was trying to overturn the election. He did want to stay, despite what you've said. So, where, as someone who's a conservative and someone who's pro-Trump, what's a good balance between investigation uh, but also making it seem in your minds, uh, non, in your mind? nonpartisan because I think it's important
1: yeah well and I think that the 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 makeup of of and, and the entire kind of scope and focus of of the report and the committee um, has been partisan from the get-go so I would have liked to see a more comprehensive approach specifically looking at what was Nancy Pelosi's role and Mitch McConnell bipartisan failure here in their refusal to protect the Capitol um, because President Trump when he was in the White House, he faced a physical risk to his own life. He was had to, had to move to the bunker. Um, and in response, he brought in the National Guard. And I, I, I was covering the White House at the time in 2020. There were times when I felt physically unsafe. Uh, for example, when the uh, you know the the RNC was having their convention and those protests there came and they pushed up on Senator Rand Paul. So there were very fraught, dangerous moments. And I think President Trump understood that, and so that's why he brought in forces there to protect the White House. Meanwhile, Capitol Hill, the naivete of Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell they didn't do enough. And so while I in no way endorse what these uh, wrongdoers, these violent uh, people who need to be held accountable and punished to the full extent of the law, um, these rioters, um, what they did was wrong, like full stop. But I do think that we're never going to get the full truth of the failures uh, by all parties here to protect our sacred capital.
0: Well, I mean, what do you think a lot of the protesters, and yes, I think they should be held accountable, and you know, but a lot of them said, hey, we were just following orders. You know, the president wanted us to, what about people who orchestrated this? What about the Steve Bannons of the world? They're the ones that were really behind it. Shouldn't they be held accountable?
1: Well, and that's where you get into uh, these questions that, you know, I interviewed a, a former CIA or a FBI senior official who was looking at these types of risks and threats. And he said, when you look at the definitions of what it means to incite, um, the threshold just hasn't been met by what Trump said. Um, you know, he said uh, we need to fight. But the thing is, many, many, many politicians, if we were going to indict and jail politicians for saying let's fight for something, we wouldn't have anybody in office, which maybe that's what we should do. <laughs> but, um, but the uh, the threshold of direct incitement just was not there, not to mention that a lot of these rioters, these violent, uh, uh, just ugh, people who were so in direct conflict to what America stands for. Uh, they were already moving before Trump even spoke. Um, and so I just think that there is an evidentiary bar that just hasn't been met. And I think that's why uh, you don't see uh, Trump being prosecuted. Uh, you know, there is an actual process to prosecute someone for incitement and then it hasn't happened.
0: Well, I would, you know, I, I do think what you said before about uh, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell is a, you know, is a little bit of a red herring because I think the important thing is to figure out, okay, these people came to D.C. and uh, you know, Trump riled them up. Yes, you could say, oh, he said it was peaceful, but that was the only thing. You know, he said, we're not going to take the country back with weakness. We have to use strength. So I don't think anybody who was there, uh, very few people would say that, that, they wouldn't, that they weren't riled up by him. And, and then he, again, said, you know, hang, encouraged to hang Mike Pence and knew Mike Pence was in danger, but still put him under the bus, which again, if anyone wants to look at character, same thing with Giuliani, he won't pay his legal bills, even though Giuliani basically sold out his reputation by that infamous press conference with the, with a dye of sweat, the sweat dye running down his face. And he's, learned that, he's earned that money legitimately. And, and the fact that he won't be paid is another indication of Trump's lack of character. But I honestly believe that that we that the, the the committee overall has done a pretty good job and i think they're they're looking over some stones that are uh, that are unturned and that's what's uh making people nervous but i hope the accountability goes beyond just the protesters because i do think someone like steve bannon if you look at what he did and you look at how calculating it was i think there is evidentiary uh proof there but Well, again, another amazing episode of our show. It's so great to have you here. I'm Dave Spencer. Please join us next time on another episode of Practically Political.
1: We'll see you then.